A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. I'm Chris Elias. I'm your host today, and we have got a great guest for you today. Um, got my friend Gary Miller. Gary is a former Olympic ski coach turned businessman. Um, he's got a phenomenal um, history, a phenomenal story, and uh, really a lot of great links to great leadership and what it takes to really succeed in the world. And um, Gary, just glad to have you with me today. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure. Well, so... Um, you know, I, I said a moment ago, Olympic ski coach, tell us a little bit about your career, because because I think that, that there's a component of who you are that's natural, but there's also, you know, your path. The, the, someone's story is so very important to where they are today. And, uh, you know, give us a few minutes on your story and how you've gotten to where you are today. Yeah, the story is an interesting one, because, uh, you know, as a, as a a kid coming out of the Midwest and, and learning to ski on a, on a hill that was 110 foot vertical drop. If, if I was to tell somebody I, I became an Olympic ski coach, they'd, they'd look at me a little sideways. But uh, I was also a kid that didn't necessarily like to ski. Um, and my parents decided to leave me at home when I was in that sort of five, six-year-old range. And they went off skiing with my two sisters, and they they were smart enough to, to set me up with a really kind of a mean babysitter. And after a couple of weeks of spending my weekends home with a, with a babysitter, I said, I think I'm, I think I want to go skiing now. And um, so begrudgingly I, I got into the sport and uh, I was blessed with the fact that my father was a ski coach or a former ski competitor and a, and a coach. And he, uh, he got the family started and built a ski program in the Midwest. And pretty soon I'm racing all over the country and then I'm racing all over the world. And, I go to the University of Colorado and ski for them, and then I end up coaching the national team, and uh, I end up at the Olympics, and then I'm making ski movies, and I'm going from, you know, it, it just was one thing after another, and, and of course, um, you know, then after that, uh, I wanted to stop and raise a family and start a business, and for 20 years, I didn't do as much skiing I was going back and forth to Asia as I was designing and manufacturing products for different companies. And then I got back into skiing when the kids got older and pretty soon I'm back with a national team again and back on the world cup. And it's been, it's been an absolutely crazy, but fun ride. And, um, you know, as, as, as you've seen, I, I, I've been able to take what I've learned in the sports world and transcend that into the business world. Yeah. Okay. So you, you make it sound easy, you know, in, in a way, I mean, you know, oh yeah, I just, you know, I found myself on the Olympic, on the national team and then the Olympic team and blah, 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 you know, but it, it's not that easy. I mean, how do you, how do you think you found that success? I mean, from, you know, moving from a kid that didn't want to ski at all to, really quite successful. And I, I want to touch on some of those successes in a few minutes. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it doesn't just happen. You know, people don't just get lucky. Um, what were the traits? What were the things about you that, that um, made you attractive to people to say, Hey, come and be a coach for us or come and, and work with our kids or, or what is it? What, what drives success? Well, I think there's, there's two components to it. Um, you know, when I was a young kid, I mean, I wasn't a gifted athlete by any means. I was quite honestly, I was pretty clumsy and, and, um, you know, I, I got to those, those early teenage years when I was 14, 15. Um, and you know, I was getting beat all the time. I mean, I was a perennial guy that was in the, maybe in the top 10 or a little bit here and there. And, and um, I went to a camp with the, with some U.S. ski team athletes, and there was a there was a gal Leslie Smith who kind of took me under her wings and said, "Listen, this is what it's going to take for you to get to the next level." And I took it to heart, and I went home and I, I I trained physically really hard, and I changed my mental attitude. And next thing I know, I'm I'm starting to win races. 
And instead of being in the top 10 all the time, I was in the top three all the time. And um, I think it basically, I learned from that point that it was a work ethic. It was, I was putting in the time and my competitors were not. And it's something that stuck with me for a long time. Because when you talk about, you know, uh, the opportunity to go to an Olympic games and, and coach for a national team, that's more of knowing the right people and, and finding that path to be able to do that, but also utilizing the work ethic that I developed as a young athlete, because this sport is not, it's a, it's a very unforgiving sport. I mean, it's, it's, it's fast. It's uh, technically demanding. You got all the elements of, of weather and everything else. And, and all of a sudden now, you know, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to beat somebody skiing on ice and, and it's, it's not so easy. So there's a lot of injury. There's a lot of risk. Um, so it, it takes, you know, I developed a, a, a lot of, um, discipline. I, I developed a lot of structure. I, you know, I learned how to work hard. I learned to get up early. I learned a lot of things that, you know, have allowed me to achieve the successes. Uh, but it wasn't, you're right. It's not easy. It's, it, it's a, you know, you have to embrace not being comfortable. Yeah. And so, you know, this is a theme that, you know, has been talked about for years, you know, success doesn't just happen. There's a lot of hard work, a lot of discipline required. And, um, you know, I I wonder, is it somebody, you know, I'm not saying can anybody be successful as an Olympian, you know, skier or anything like that, but, but can anybody be truly successful what they want to be successful with without that work ethic and how much of their personality has to be adjusted for that. Um, I don't know if I'm asking the question right. I, I, I think in terms of, you know, I know a lot of people that, that, you know, truly want to be successful, but they're, they're just not willing to put the time in. And I, I almost feel like there's something missing in them that they just, just don't have it, you know, and, and there are other people who you know, don't even think about success, but they're just so darn driven and they're, they're, they're hitting it hard all the time that there's this natural flow and they, they get success because of it. So what I'm asking you is, do you think you naturally had it or was that a habit you built? Was that, did, did you, was there a triggering event? Maybe it was that camp that caused you to say, you know, I got to start working a lot harder at this. And, and you built that habit at a young age. What about somebody who's a little bit older? I know I'm throwing a bunch of stuff, but, but, but what's your thinking as far as the natural drive to succeed versus having to learn a drive to succeed? Well, I think, I think there's, it, it could exist both ways. I mean, there, there are certain people that are just programmed to be hardworking individuals that, that, that put the time in, but uh, you know, uh, there's the old saying, you know, champions aren't born, they're made and, and they make themselves. And it's, it, you know, putting the time in is critical. Uh, I, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. And I'll give you a good example. I mean, when I went back to the national team in 2014 and 15 and, and was fortunate enough to go with the women's tech team, which included Michaela Schifrin, who today is the world's best ski racer on the planet, um, men and women included. And, um, you know, that was a first hand view of someone who was not only passionate about what she does for a living, but she puts in the time and, and it, it was really evident from the beginning. I mean, you know, when, when you're training on the mountain and it's, and it's cold and it's nasty and, and, you know, everyone else takes, six, seven runs, and then they go inside. I mean, she's still out there, run number 10, number 11, number 12. She might go in take a short break, but she'll go out again. She spends more time skiing and training than anybody else does, and yet nobody can figure out why she wins almost every single World Cup race she enters. And uh, it's – I don't care what sport you're in – I don't care what business you're in. If you're not willing to put in the time, it's, it's not going to happen. It just will not happen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, I, I, I think that there's plenty of examples, you know, staying on Michaela for a minute. Um, you once told me a story about, you know, focus. So, so we talked about putting in the time, but, but focus is important as well. 
um, you know, a lot of what we, we preach in organizations is you can't do everything and you can't fix everything all at once. Pick the highest priority items. Focus on those first. Drive the things that are going to take you further than anything else. Focus, get those right, and then move on to the next instead of trying to do everything. A lot of companies take this kind of shotgun approach. And I loved, uh, you know, a story that I thought about. It was um, a story you told me about working with Michaela on, in, on, on one of the races. Maybe it was one of the first World Cup races that she won or, or very early on, but you talked about isolating where she could win on a course. Um, you know, taking a look at all the aspects of it, share that story. I thought that was a really great story. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's her ability to focus, but part of it is, is also maximizing the team that she has around her because you know, as well as anybody, if, if you're in a business and you're, and you have the best executive staff and you have the best labor force, you're, you're going to, you're going to be a, a winner in, in that category. It's the same with, with an NFL team. It's the same with a ski racer. You know, you, you hire the best coaches, you put the best staff together. And then what you do is come up with a game plan that allows you to maximize all of those elements. And in that case, you know, we took her inspections every in every ski race you've got in, in the technical events, you have two runs and before each run, every athlete gets a chance to go and make an inspection and they go through the course, they side slip through it. They look at all of the different aspects of where the turns are, how far off the fall line they are, how, how much distance there is between the gates and they memorize this and then they play it over and over in their mind to the point where they can come out of the starting gate and, and ski really fast, really hard, and try to beat the clock. Well, what we did with, with Michaela is we wanted to go deeper than that, and we started to measure every single gate, and, and we have certain ways that we can do that. We measure it, and then we give her this information, and she processes that information so that she knows where on that course she can take advantage. We call them little speed zones where it might be a little closer to the fall line. She can go a little straighter. And, and I've never seen anybody be able to process that stuff because she had a lot of information that she could utilize to improve her performance. And um, I, I think that's the, the aspect of, of any great athlete is the team that they have around them and are willing to do the things that are a little bit extra, you know, other coaches weren't doing that. Other coaches weren't measuring the distance. Well, and, and she had all this information, but I wonder if she tried to, to, to process all of it all at once, if that actually would have created some type of almost a, a freeze or a lock, sometimes too much information. So, so it sounds like what she was really good at, you know, as you mentioned, distilling it down to find those little speed zones, as you call them, those spots where she could mm-hmm. isolate and really capitalize. I mean, that, that, that's, that's really quite smart. And I, and I think in business, it's, I think it's in business, it's the same thing, isn't it? I mean, we, we want to find those, we should be finding those areas where we could really, really capitalize. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the, it's the fine details. It's managing the little details that are so often overlooked. And, and the reason why they're overlooked is that there's always a lack of focus somewhere. And, you know, it's, it's no different when a, when an NFL quarterback goes into his film study and they're looking at the, they're looking at the little details. Cause let's face it, 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 whether you're a ski racer, a football player, you're at the, you're at the top of your game. It's the little teeny nuances. It's the ones that make you the, the little things that you focus on that make you better. And you, you look at a company like Apple and how, you know, how disciplined they are with all the little things that, that make their products just a little bit better than somebody else. And, and everyone else is playing catch up because they're not managing the little details. They're scrambling to try to keep up. And, you know, the, the, the more attention you put on those finer details, it'll keep you ahead of the game. Yeah, it's 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 a form of quality. It's in you know an obsessive compulsiveness to put out something really 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 great. It gets back to that hard drive, and you know as as you were talking, you know I can't help but think that managing those little details can't be done by one person. 
you know, when, when you're in the business world. And so, so one of the, the, the problems that we'll face often is a manager or a leader who's trying to control every little detail as opposed to overlooking, overseeing, and, and kind of seeing where it is. And then they want to, to control everybody's individual actions. And in doing so, they end up failing because all the information, all the control, everything's being processed through one person. Whereas if we look at the team example, the example you just shared, you've got a group of people that were helping Michaela. You've got a group of people that are helping that, that quarterback isolate in different things or whatever. And then everybody understands what their roles and tasks are from there and have an expectation they're empowered to act and, and, and work together in order to get the best possible result. Um, we're, we're coming up on a, on a quick break. Uh, the first segment always seems to go so fast. I want to continue on this conversation as soon as we come back. So, um, so, so Gary, give us uh, just a few minutes. Um, everyone, we will be back um, with you in just a couple minutes. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Gary Miller. Gary, so just before we broke, um, you know, the kind of the direction we were heading was the importance of kind of the the, the right team, right? And, um, you know, the difference between one person trying to handle everything versus, you know, maximizing your team. And I've often utilized an example. I, I think of the... Um, I think of the the leader of a team, the leader of a group, the leader of a company is like the conductor of an orchestra. And I don't know if you've ever seen sheet music that a conductor looks at, but it's got every line of music that everybody's supposed to be playing. I mean, you look at it, just dots everywhere. I mean, it's it's complicated. Talk about managing details. There's a ton of details that are on that sheet. But at the end of the day, it's that person coordinates the sound of all the musicians that are playing their parts and they all have to be good at playing their parts or they're not going to sound good as an orchestra. If one of them is out of tune, if one of them doesn't read music, you got a problem. Um, how does that translate to some of your experiences and, um, and you know, let's love some more of your thoughts on that. I think the biggest thing in, in, in both sports and businesses is, is trust. Trust is um, trust is everything. Uh, I wouldn't have been hired to go back on the world cup with someone like Michaela Schifrin, if they didn't trust my abilities as, as a technical coach and someone who was, uh, I think a little bit farther down the path um, in life where I've had some experiences that a young coach wouldn't have. Um, I was also a father of a daughter that, which made a difference too. Um, but I think in, in, especially in companies, trust is, is a huge thing. There are so many places where you put somebody in a managerial position and, and th- this guy is trying to do all, all they're trying, he's trying to do everybody else's job and, and the job as, you know, a manager or a CEO or a president is, is to be that conductor is to be the one that leads the orchestra into 
a beautiful piece of music. And I can guarantee you that you take a company like Apple and Tim Cook is not running around telling everyone how to do their business. He, he hires the right people with the right backgrounds, the right work ethic, um, the right passion and allows them to do the job that they set out to do. And it doesn't always work out that way, but you have to let people do what they do best trust them to provide you with the best information so that you can make the final decision at the end of the day. You know, it's the, the um, image I have is the conductor kind of jumping and playing instruments during a concert. And then, so, okay, so maybe they can do that for one <laughs> instrument, but they're not conducting at that time. But what happens when they got to play the second instrument? Now the third, and they start moving towards a one-band band. I mean, if you're in front of the, the, the Boston Symphony, that's not going to sound very good. Um, and yet, it's amazing how often leaders do that. And, and you're right. It's because they don't trust people. It's, they, they don't trust them to do the job. And, and I've often said, if you're going to do the job for them, why are you paying them the big bucks? Why are you bringing them in? Why are you even bothering? Just do the work right? You know, get a bunch of robots to do the work. I mean, but if you're going to pay somebody to do it, if you want to grow, that's why you bring that expertise in, let them do the job. And if you can't trust them, then we have to find a way to get over that. You've had some, you've had some really interesting experiences though. You know, um, you know, you've and I, I have talked through the years and, and you've had some really, really interesting experiences with working for organizations that didn't trust, didn't even trust you with, with what you were bringing forward, given all your history. Um, you got to share, share with me a couple of good stories there. Well, one was relatively recent and, uh, you know, it, it was a company in the scheme world and, uh, you know, uh, they wanted my expertise in, in marketing and, and, uh, even sourcing product and, and, you know, we all agreed that these were the certain, we set out a roadmap, we put a marketing plan together, we set a roadmap out. And, and at the end of the day, every time we wanted to decide on something, uh, the owner would walk in and say, no, we're not going to do that. You know, we, we we've got to do it a different way. And, um, it's just, it's just counterproductive. It's, it's like you take two steps forward and one step back, two steps forward and one step back. And you can't continue, you can't run an organization and move forward, whether it's in the business world or the sports world and, and expect people, people have to be able to do their job to the best of their abilities. And if they're not the right person, then you move them somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, you don't have to hold on to somebody forever. And if you've hired the wrong person, suck it up and, and, you know, terminate them and move on, do whatever you need to move, but, but let them do their job. You know, um, what's it feel like? I think, you know, and, and, and it's, I come across this so often where we, we start with a client and, and I'll hear a story like, Oh yeah, you know, we had, this person was phenomenal and you know, well, they, they left for more money. We couldn't afford to them. And, yeah, you did a little, do a little bit of investigating. They didn't leave for more money. Often people don't leave for more money. I mean, they left because they didn't like the environment. They didn't like the way that they were being treated. And they'll tell you it's for more money because they don't, they don't want to, you know, get into the conflict with, with the leader. But, but that, that happens quite often. And, you know, uh, you know, from your perspective, what does it feel like? What does it actually feel like to be um, in that position where you're being controlled when, when you know you bring a talent? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's frustrating more than anything, you know, because you know you have what it takes to move that company uh, forward and, and, and you're, you're, you're handicapped. And, and you're right, Chris. I mean, people, people don't just move on from money. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, unless it's significant money. You know, if you're happy in your job and you're allowed to, to grow and you cut, you're passionate about what you do and you come to work with a smile on your face and you love the, the people you're working with, money is irrelevant at that point. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's one of the more frustrating things I've ever faced. And I've, you know, I've seen it in the sports world and, and I've seen it in the business world and, and, um, uh, it's, you know, people just have to be allowed to do what they do best. And, and, uh, you're not always going to be the right fit for somebody. That's right. But you know, you still have to, you have to be given that shot. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm just hoping our listeners, any of you that are in leadership positions, you know, are, are, are hearing that, you know, if, if you've got good people on your team, find a way, 
you know, if you don't trust them, then, then you got a different problem. But if you do trust them, let them do their work. You know, you want to get to a place of trust, put some metrics against them, hold them accountable to those metrics, you know, let them know what success is going to look like in that particular role, but don't, don't get into the nitty gritty of how they do it. I've often said, you know, as long as what they do is within our guidelines and legal and ethical, you know, let them go and perform um, and hold them accountable to that and performance. Frustration is, uh, I'm going to argue, is one of the probably top two or three reasons why people, good people, leave, is is frustrated in their work, frustrated with their the culture, the organization, etc. So you know, um, you know, Gary, you you had in in that experience. I mean, you had lined up probably major major amounts of sales and sales potentials, um, and yet that all goes away when you walk away, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it, it, the impact is, is, can be horrific on on a company, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's uh, like you said, it's not, not everyone is the right fit, but the leaders, really good leaders, whether it's the head coach or it's a CEO, they're in a nurturing position and, and they have to be able to realize when they look at someone that they're hiring for a VP position or a general manager position, they have to look at, 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 you know, is this the right fit for me? Is this right? Can I take this person to the next level? And that's a hard one because, you know, oftentimes the leaders at the top, the egos get in the way, you know, I don't want them to take over my position. I don't want them to move me out. But if you do the, if you do a great job of nurturing your staff and, and moving, you know, letting them move with the company, you're going to be so much more successful. And uh, I think that's a big missing component today. There aren't enough leaders that are nurturing their staff and, and allowing them to grow and picking them up and moving them forward and marching right alongside. I mean, if you, you know, on a personal level, if you went home and you told your wife what to do all the time, you know, your, your marriage isn't going to be real happy. <laughs> No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Uh, so, you know, um, you know, something you got me thinking about. So um, describe for me. So here, here's a here's a good question to throw at you. Describe for me the best leader you've ever worked for and the worst leader you've ever worked for. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think the best leader I ever had was our Alpine director back when I was coaching the national team in the in the in the 80s. And uh, he was a German gentleman who just had that knack for dealing with people on multiple different levels. And on a, and on a team like, uh, like skiing, where you have so many different nationalities, you know, we, we had people, uh, coaches that were Americans. We had coaches that were French and some that were, that were uh, German and Austrian and Swiss. And, you know, so, you have a lot of personalities and I, you know, and he, he was a master at being able to get everybody on the same page. He always, always had our backs. He never would throw us under the bus. And, um, it, you know, uh, I'll never forget it. And, and he's the one and only leader or, or boss that I've ever worked for that I can say that about. And, um, you know, then this, this, this recent example of this, this, um, company in the ski industry where, you know, I knew the guy for a long time and, and, um, you know, he just wasn't, he, he was a complete opposite and, uh, wouldn't hesitate to, to, to berate you for something you did that was wrong in his eyes and, and their condescending remarks all the time and canceling decisions you were supposed to make and, you know, uh, I mean, it was, it became so miserable. You're left with no choice. You know, you either walk away with some self-esteem and try to build it back again or, or, uh, you know, live a miserable life. So, so, so that, that, that leader that's the, we'll put in the bad category. Um, do you think he had any self-awareness that he was a bad leader? No, I don't think he did. I think he felt that, um, he was the, he was the boss. Um, all the decisions had to be run by him. Um, just didn't have the wherewithal to trust his staff to do what they thought was right. And, um, as a consequence, you know, within a span of a couple of weeks, you know, three key people walk out the door 
And, uh, it's, it, but it had been like that for years. Um, so sadly that's, that's what happens. And, 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 and in contrast, the, the great leader I, I spoke of, uh, his tenure with the national team was probably 20 years, uh, um, because he knew how to, he knew how to make winners. Yeah. Yeah. And, and making winners isn't just the athletes. It's everybody that's around them. Everybody. Yeah. 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 That self-awareness piece is, is tough because it requires a certain level of vulnerability. You have to, you have to be willing to sit back and really accept your own stuff. Um, and, and really take a hard look. And some people just don't want to do that. And if, especially if they're high ego, they, they almost can't believe that there isn't. I mean, I can think of a guy that, that, um, that, that I worked with years ago who, you know, just really believed he was the greatest manager of all times. I, I think if you had asked him, he would have told you, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. not in so many words, but that, that's, that's what it was. And, and no one could give him any feedback. No one could talk to him. And he was just absolutely miserable. And the, the worst part is he thought everybody loved him. And if you heard the conversations that went on when he wasn't around, he was the most hated individual in the company. And you know, when he left, it was like everybody was cheering. Um, there was just no self-awareness. And so, you know, for, for our, you know, our listeners out there, again, you know, if, if you're wondering, stop and check. If, if you've got trusting people who will give you the truth, ask them and, um, well, and, and watch your body language to see, are they actually telling you the truth or not? Um, you know, if, if, if they, they don't want to get in a conversation, you might know the answer. But which leader are you? Are you that great leader or are you the, the, the one that, the, that nobody really likes? That's, that's something to consider. And, and, yeah, you can easily say, oh, I'm not here to be liked. That's, that's the easiest thing in the world to be said. But, you know, along with that comes a certain level of respect and people will perform for people that they like. Wouldn't you agree, Gary? Absolutely. And, and, and there's a good story uh, around that. When I went back with, with Michaela and the girls, um, we had a head coach at the time that was relatively toxic and um, you know, things were going South pretty quickly. And this fortunately was at the beginning of the season and, um, but we came, it came to a certain point where we had to do something. We had to step in because the athletes were upset. Um, it, this guy was a foreigner. He didn't really understand how Americans work and, 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 uh, train. And, and I think, um, I think he felt a little pressure that he had to perform, um, even though he was not the athlete. But uh, these derogatory statements all the time and condescending remarks and a toxic environment just didn't cut it. And we finally, we finally were able to have him removed. And um, one of the assistants that I worked with, the two of us and, and the entire remaining staff between, uh, you know, Michaela's mom and, and uh, the, uh, the other athletes, we all, we all bound together and we made a, a really nice, calm, friendly environment. And within three days, the results started coming back. The girls were happy. Michaela starts winning again. And, uh, it was, it was like that until the end of the season. And, and, uh, it's just, you know, you have to make that environment comfortable in order for your people to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here we are. We're up to another commercial already. So um, we're going to take a little break and we'll come back for one final chat with Gary. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience meeting organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, 
faster and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the execution culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with uh, with Gary Miller. Gary, um, so since then, you know, the, the, the last frustrating, um, you know, person that you worked with, you've become quite the entrepreneur. I mean, I've, I've watched you do a number of different things and, um, some successfully, some maybe not as much. Um, but that's, that's the, that's a normal life of an entrepreneur. Um, what's that path been like for you? Well, it's a lot up and down. I mean, that's, uh, I, I think, you know, I was fortunate. I, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, which was, I think, advantageous. Um, but I think in my athletic career, the fact that I, you know, didn't finish a race or crashed or, you know, uh, you know, was probably more advantageous to me, you know, the number of times I failed because, you know, you basically have to get up, dust yourself off and march forward again. You know, you can't, you can't sit and stew about it. Um, and, and, you know, some of my businesses um, have been really good and th- there've been a couple that have, that have bombed a bit, but um, at the end of the day, you know, you, you build up this resiliency um, and, and, and an understanding that it's not always going to go right. And every day is going to be a challenge and you're going to have to fight and, and as, as hard as I worked and trained and competed, I had to do the same in business. I have to, every day I have to get up early. I got to get dressed. I got to prepare myself to perform at a high level. And you do it. If you have to do it seven days a week, you do it seven days a week. And um, I, I think it's, it's a combination of having, having that failure that, you know, as a background um, allows you to, to become resilient enough to keep marching forward. And, um, and being an entrepreneur is a, you know, it's a, it's a different animal. It's not like going to work for somebody else. I mean, you're at the end of the day, your neck is the one that's, that's on the line. So, um, but it's, it's been, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I I wouldn't want it any other way. I'm, I'm, I feel much more comfortable in an entrepreneurial role, just like I was more comfortable in an individual sport competing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think about so many entrepreneurial success stories and just the, the long list of failures that people go through before they hit success. And then I hear about stories today, you know, you have these, these tech companies and, you know, some, uh, some, some guy comes up with an idea and first great idea and the idea sounds so good and they sell it for millions and millions of dollars. They pocket a whole bunch of money and, um, and call themselves an entrepreneurial success. And I don't know where, you know, are they actually a success or did they just get lucky? I mean, you know, in tech, there's so many weird things going on. Um, it's, it's a little different than starting up with a, you know, a, your, own, your own lawn cutting service or, you know, your own uh, ski coaching company or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's different. It's not so easy as, uh, I think in the, in the tech world, you do see some of these successes, like, like you mentioned that uh, I think in in anything in life, Chris, and and you know this, I mean, we've been down the walk of life quite a few times and, and, uh, you know, uh, some things are just a stroke of luck. Somebody's in the right place at the right time. Um, I, I always kind of, I've gone back in my life, and I don't like to look in the rearview mirror too often, but, but every now and then you look back and you go, hmm, you know, what if I'd have done this differently or what if I would have done this? But I did it. And one of my, one of my favorite ones is, is as I knew the, the founder um, of Red Bull, 
um, because he was supplying us back in the eighties in Europe with all this Red Bull, you know, and this was, this was fabulous. This, this drink that would keep us all up and awake when we were driving from country to country and, uh, you know, in, in the, at the nighttime. And, um, and, and I would bring, you know, I'd bring cans of this stuff home to the U S and my buddies would be like, ah, oh, God, word, this stuff is the greatest stuff on the planet, you know? And, uh, never thinking, you know, and having a friend that, that in, in the town that I grew up in, that was the, the largest beer distributor in the Midwest, um, never put, put two and two together <laughs> thinking, you know, what if I, you know, cause I could go to Dieter and I could say, Hey, Hey, you know, do you, do you mind if I have the U.S. for Red Bull? Because Red Bull didn't come to America until I think mid '90s at yeah. some point, and and uh, so you you know you 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 see these windows open up, and sometimes you just aren't in the right place at the right time to jump through them, and other times you are, and if you are, who knows, you know? But then you have the other side of it where you come up with a great idea and you go to a, a trade show. I mean, we, we uh, worked for a company in Colorado that developed luggage and we bought the rights to head luggage. And we came out with, with the first colored luggage. Everything at that point was black or navy or brown, right? And uh, so we came out with Ferrari colors, red, yellow, blue, silver, and they were beautifully made and it was soft luggage and hard luggage. And we went to the luggage show and everyone, Oh my God, that's, that's really cool. But I don't know if I could sell that. So you, we didn't sell anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, five years later, you go back to the, to the, to the trade show, the luggage show and everybody's got colored luggage. So, you know, it's uh, sometimes you're, you're maybe ahead of the game. Sometimes you're behind the game. And uh, I think it's, it's almost sometimes a little bit of stroke of luck. Well, yeah, there is. And then and, and there's sometimes there's vision and there's risk involved. I, you know, I, 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 true entrepreneurs have a willingness to accept and take risks that others won't. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people I've met that, you know, you ask them what they do. Well, I'm an entrepreneur. I do this, this, and this. And, and you say, well, I have an idea for you. And uh, they're so risk averse you wonder, well, you know, how can they call themselves an entrepreneur? It, it becomes almost a word. You know, there would have been a risk in, in, in saying, let's bring Red Bull to America. Um, and so, and not that you wouldn't have taken that risk, because I've watched you take risks for many, many years. But, um, but having said that, I, I can think of, I've got another friend um, that I've heard him say multiple times, oh, look at that invention. I had that idea years ago, and you never did anything about it would be my response. I mean, don't complain if somebody else comes up with the same idea if you don't if you don't take the action. Why didn't you do anything about it? Well, you know, I didn't want to spend the money. I didn't want to give it a try. I didn't want to, you know, eh, you got to be willing to take that risk. And and sometimes you see an opportunity that that turns out to be a non-opportunity. That's a loss. That's a, you know, that's losing one of those races. That's that's a failure. And learn from that. Brush yourself off and get up and go on. I mean, you know, even my business today has had um, multiple iterations. The first three, four iterations of it, you know, we, we completely changed business models multiple times until we dialed it in and got something that was really successful and started, you know, having some legs. Um, and I... I you know, it's just that's why so few are, are really truly successful. You know, again, outside of the tech is I think it's it's got a lot to do with that risk profile. Would you agree? I would totally agree. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to to stomach the risk, and not everyone can do that. And um, you know, I think I think the other thing that's really important is being able to recognize holes in the market, uh, places where you can exploit a niche that, you know, nobody else is doing. And that's, you know, it's what I've done now with my, my luxury travel business where I can take people to Europe and ski golf and, and, and ride bikes. Um, there aren't that many people doing it on a scale that we're doing it. And, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look at, I'm trying to look, look at a lot of different avenues that would enhance our business make it better than everybody else's. I'm trying to look for those holes so that, so that my business becomes a little bit less risky. And, um, 
you know, so I, and, and I think, you know, we're, we're in a really interesting time right now, obviously with this, this coronavirus and, and um, you know, there, there, there are two things that are going on right now. There, there are companies that are going, Oh my God, you know, the business is really far off and we've got to stop the bleeding and, you know, we have to be conservative. And as an entrepreneur, I don't think you can necessarily take that tack. And I think entrepreneurs are actually in a better position than a lot of companies. It's more established companies because they have the ability to take a risk and do something that somebody else wouldn't do. For me, um, yeah, we got stopped because of the coronavirus and we couldn't take trips at the end of ski trips to Europe at the end of this, the end of the year, you know, in March and April. Um, but instead of retreating, we just stepped on the gas and went, okay, we got to be better. We got to be putting more trips out. We got to do things that other people aren't doing. And, you know, one of the things that, um, that's important to us is we partner with various brands to enhance our product. And we have a ski clothing apparel company out of Boston that is, has been a really good partner, brand partner for us. And we knew that they were facing a, a tough go. But, you know, ski shops were canceling orders and, and nobody knew what the ski business was going to be like. And, you know, these guys were leaking money and we knew they didn't have marketing opportunities. And I said, you know, I went to my director of marketing and I said, what can we do that's different and, 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 and help them out? Okay. And we, we decided to take um, our resources and go out to the Bonneville Salt Flats and do a photo shoot with video and still and drones and everything that we possibly can and put together a, uh, uh, with, with their apparel, we did a, a full-fledged photo shoot and I just handed it to the owner of this company and I said, here, this is our gift to you. You've been a great brand partner of ours. Here's our gift to you. You can't imagine what that has done for us moving forward. They yeah. have now we're almost joined at the hip. They've become an even stronger ally. They're taking our trips and putting them on their website. They are, they've given our marketing team more opportunities to do other photo shoots. And, you know, and this is a case of instead of retreating, we just went full charge. And I think entrepreneurs can do that yeah. easier than a company can. Well, yeah, and some companies are entrepreneurial. I mean, I've got a few clients that are trying to take advantage of of these times. I mean, it's a good time to 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 get people to build certain resources, but it takes an investment mentality. And I think that that's that's part of what you're talking about. I mean, what you did that cost you to you know it's it's not free yeah. to go out and do all that that marketing work. I mean, it, there's a cost involved, and by handing it over and just giving it to them, you created a partner for life. I mean, you've created loyalty, you've created trust, and you, you've shown that they mean more than just a straight you know piece of business to you. And you know, I think for people who start companies or entrepreneurs and they're in that early stage, some of them figure out the importance of those partnerships, and some of them don't. Some of them don't get it. Um, there's one one guy that came to me. It's probably 15 years ago, and um, you know, just did not see the value in partners and partnerships and everything and just never really quite got his company off the ground because he never he never got that forward momentum. He never got that that amount of sales that he needed to keep moving on. Um, so partnerships are really, really key. Um, obviously, a, a, a great story there. You know, um, Gary, we've only got a couple minutes left. You know, for somebody who is considering, you know, starting their business, um, you know, be, you know, stepping out and becoming an entrepreneur and trying to do it. Um, any other advice? I mean, other than obviously, you know, work harder than everybody else, you know, have a strong gut, work through things, you know, don't let things stop you. I mean, some of the stuff that we've talked about, what, what other advice, you know, anything from a, a technical aspect for starting a business or anything else they need to know? I mean, what does it take to really get a business up and running? Yeah, that's a, there are so many facets, Chris, it's, it's, um, but I'll tell you, one of the things I think that's, that's been really disheartening for a lot of us is, is watching the moral fabric of our country sort of dissipate a little bit. Um, 
And I think, I think there's been a genuine lack of respect. Um, I won't go into the political side of it because that's a dead end street, unfortunately right now. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, if if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you want to start a company and you want to make a widget or provide a great service for somebody, you have to put yourself in the mindset that, you know, I'm going to treat my suppliers, my staff, my clients, everyone with the utmost respect. And the one thing that, that I think has fallen off the map here a little bit in America is, is customer service. And, 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 and that's a respect thing. And I was telling somebody the other day who's actually a, a director of sales and marketing. Um, I said, if, if I was starting a restaurant or starting a resort, and this may sound really odd, but I said, I'd send, I'd send the entire staff for a week. I'd send them to, to Hong Kong or Shanghai and, and say, watch what they do to provide service. And, and, it, and it goes back to the fine points again. It's doing the little things that make you great. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you got to do the little things that make you great. And it's, it's, it's being really good to people. For me, um, it's just, it's a respect thing. I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's, it's being friendly, being respectful, and, and, and hard charging at the same time. Yeah. You know, um, such a, such an incredible point. Um, and especially at respect to the customer. Uh, I, I remember, uh, we used to, we used to joke, um, in the restaurant business that, that you had the people that were really into taking care of others and they were always the ones that got the tips and the ones that never seemed to get the tips and always wanted to complain, well, why don't I get the tips? They were kind of the same people that would be the ones complaining. Well, if it weren't for this darn customer, my life would be a lot easier. Well, yeah, right. So, right. yeah, you know, it's, it, it is, it is key. And we do have to remember that respect, um, all the way around. Um, it goes right back to what we were talking about at the very, very beginning about building an A team of people having trust, all those things, that stuff doesn't happen if respect isn't in play. Gary, thank you for your time today. Um, this was great. Might have to have you back on again. Um, always enjoy talking with you. There's, there's so many more stories that, that we, we can't even touch on, but, um, but I'm sure we'll find some more time. So thanks again for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, Chris. This was, this was a real pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, everyone. And uh, thanks for, uh, for listening. Uh, if any of you are interested in getting a hold of Gary, um, you can contact me through our, through our email system with Voice America. And um, until our next show, hope you guys have a great week, and I'll see you soon. Thanks. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.